Hi, I just want to take a quick minute to drop in and say that this week's episode is actually a two-parter. When I sat down to have a conversation with Anjo, we ended up having such a great conversation that we just let it go on. So it, it was well over an hour and a half. And I know that's a long time for anyone to sit and listen to a podcast. So I have cut this back so that you'll have one episode that's roughly about an hour. And then the second part of it will come out uh, the following Wednesday. So you'll be hearing this on Friday, June 7th. And you'll be hearing the follow-up, the continuation of this on Wednesday, June 12th. And it is such a great conversation. She has such a great philosophy about how she runs her business, her conversations about her marriage and the way that they both progressed in their marriage to be together. And I just so loved our conversation around being a woman, being an entrepreneur, her thought process, her just her whole mental attitude about life was really incredible to me. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Come back and listen to the follow-up next week. And thank you for joining me. Stories. We all have them. They're the compilation of your journey from where you started to how you ended up where you are today. Titanium Blonde is all about sharing women's stories. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, and everything in between all of that. I'm Sherry Eckert. This is Titanium Blonde Talks. And I'd like to know, what's your story? Hello, and thank you for joining me today for another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks, the podcast for women to share their stories, their lives, their wisdom, and just to have a great conversation about life. Joining me this morning is Anjua. She is the co-owner with her husband of Groove Ride with three locations for three and a half years. She's a certified life coach and does the public speaking and group coaching as well. So I hope that you guys will enjoy our conversation this morning. She's got a lot going on in her life, and I can't wait for you guys to hear everything that she has to talk about this morning. Thank you for joining me this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me, Sherry. I'm so excited we were finally able to connect. Yes, this has been another one of those interviews that's been going on almost since the very beginning, and that's been since last right. summer. So, you know, it happens on occasion that we don't always get things to line up with everybody's schedule. And I just sort of hang in there and trust that when it's time that the universe will deliver the right time exactly. and place. So I'm so glad that we finally got to put this all together because I know you've been going through a little transition in the last last few months with some things that you've been working on. So why don't you tell everyone about a little bit more about sure. yourself? We'll just start. So there. you mentioned a transition and I would say to start there, we just opened a third location in January okay. um, in the Van Aken district, uh, Shaker Heights. So amazing. It was a great, I think anytime you open something, it's like having children and anybody who's had, have, has had children, I think can relate to this. So uh, you, the first time you do it, and you experience it and it's got highs and lows and it, it feels amazing and you're exhausted and exhilarated and then you kind of forget. So you go and do it again. <laughs> and you're like, oh wait, that's right. This was really hard the first time, right? Again, you're, yeah. you're in love. You're and then this child looks a little bit different than the first child and this is literally how studios are unfolding. Then you get to the third time and you definitely forgot again. Um, but I feel like this time, 
the forgetting is because you've done it already. So there's things that are different. There's things that you know are going to happen. You anticipate. There's things you're always learning, but you're coming from a different place of not worrying quite as much as you did with the first two, right? So for this one, it was just the timing of it. You know, we, we now have a staff of 54 people. Yeah. Wow. And trying to, and this is between the front of house and, and our instructors and just trying to and your instructors, yeah, keep yeah. everybody, um, you know, to remember everyone's name and who did I hire and... <laughs> Sometimes conversations, my husband says, I'm like, who is that? And he's like, you just hired me. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I joke, because I know my people, I know them really well, but it did for a little while get a little bit in that place of feeling a bit overwhelmed. At that. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And we're so, we're so committed to their development. We're so committed to their happiness as a team, which I believe has been part of our success. I really strongly feel from my time working at Lululemon as a store manager and being with that company for almost five, six years, I learned so much about the happiness of your team and the importance of it and how it actually will translate really well uh, when it comes to the, the grand scheme of, of sales and wanting to actually you know, create a successful business. If your team is feeling cared for, heard, if they are taking care of themselves and know how to do so, how to ask for help. Right. I believe that this is what trickles out in their teaching. I believe it transfers at the front desk, and which is why we're known for that studio currently that exudes a lot of positive energy beyond the actual physical workout, which was always my goal. And that, to me, is how we elevate the community beyond just the physical, is creating a space where people feel that positive energy. They know it's authentic. They know that my people are, are really in love with what they're doing doesn't mean that life is perfect, but they have the tools, the guidance, the vision to see that the big picture is that things are good and that they can continue to make things great for themselves through their own personal development. So that, that's been a huge key. Tell me where you're located in, in the sure. country. So we're in Cleveland, Ohio. And Okay. That's yeah. what, and, and so go ahead and name all three locations. So if we've got people in sure. Cleveland listening, this is where you can go to find Groove awesome. Ride. So Groove Ride, uh, the first one opened in Woodmere, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland. Cleveland. And then the second one opened downtown Cleveland, the Playhouse District, I would say. And then the third one just opened at the Van Aken District back in the suburbs in Shaker Heights. So those are the yeah, three locations that we have right now. So what do you offer in your sites? Just spin classes? No, not at all. We actually offer something slightly different uh, in each location. And it's, okay. it's really interesting because those things have come to be over some challenges that we experienced as business owners, experience as business owners and recognize that agility had to take place. And what we've now learned is that we can actually mass customize workouts according to what the community is asking for, which I think is pretty neat. So downtown focuses on our beatbox class, which is boxing and boot camp combined, groove flow, which okay. is our hit yoga workout, and band camp, which deals with bands and I believe those are the three that we're focused on downtown for now. Then you go to the suburbs. Okay. The Woodmere location has cycle. It has boxing. It has the boot camp for you. Then you come to the Van Aken district, and that has cycle bar now, heated bar classes. Yes. Oh, okay. We do have vinyasa. The groove flow classes are there as well. And we are now most recently going to tackle building out the third room we have available to us, and we're going to add the band camp classes there as well. So the idea being that you have this well-rounded different exercises to help keep you well-rounded, right? So you're not just cycling, you're not just boxing, you're doing a little bit of everything. And in conjunction, they should really fulfill all of your physical needs. That was the idea. Interesting that you say that I am the business manager for a health club 
where I live. And it's always the, it's been owned by the same couple for over 17 years. And what you were talking about, the team, they believe that they have the best management team they've ever had. And it's all around everybody. We meet every week. Everyone talks about their, I mean, we have massage, we have group fitness, we have uh, paid classes, we have uh, professional training. So there's, there's a lot going on there and it's, we're in a small community. So it really is a place where community happens. Mm-hmm. And we have sort of an older demographic that's been sort of the space where we've had a lot more people there. So midlife and older, but now we're starting to see some younger people start to move onto the Island. And so we have to kind of, now we have to think about what do we need to offer this younger group, but it's always that space of being able to provide community because for some people that may be their only space where they have connection in their day to another human being. If they work from home or, you know, whatever it is, if they're older and they don't always have a lot of other things going on. So what you're doing is creating these little connection centers in your communities where people come to join together. And I just got back from the URSA convention down in San Diego last week, looking at all of that and how do the big clubs stay relevant and talking about the boutique fitness business showing up and then actually for a larger club to start creating little small boutiques inside their club. So there's, you know, your spin boutique, there's your TRX boutique, there's your group fitness boutique, there's, you know, all of these things. And the thing that I know from working, I've been with this club for five years working and then teaching there off and on for, I don't know, 15 years, but it's a space where the whole team is involved. Everybody is on board. We, there's, there's some turnover at the front desk. You're always going to find that like in retail, there's always turnover there. But if you can keep your instructors engaged in teaching, that's the biggest thing because they're the ones that build those personal relationships that bring people back in. And then those people are the ones that then go out and tell everyone else, hey, you got to go and take this class. You got to go and do this spin class, whatever it is. So it's interesting. All of these things that you're saying are things that are keyed up as the success for any fitness business at this particular point in time from all I I would go a step further to even say in the age of uh, social media, it's really important that these instructors, what we've told our instructors is that there was a time where I believe the model was that the gym or the studio did the promotion solely for you or for the gym. And it was like the instructors were anonymous more or less, unless the people who were going understood who they were. Now I tell them that you are your own personal brand within my brand. And I need Correct. you to really understand that it can't just solely be coming from me, that your personal connection to your guest in the class, your what you do with that on social media, it doesn't have to be that every day you're posting about your class, but authentic posts about your lifestyle and things that you're and in relation to your teaching will resonate with people. And this right. is how you, again, build that online awareness, which does help. So that that has been a work in progress. Some of them are, are more... I think uh, they're they're naturally entrepreneurs and they right. see the value in it. And others are like, I don't right. know if I, you know, I'm not that into social media. So you have to do a lot of things. You know, we try to make it as possible, make sure make it as easy as possible. We actually give them templates and kits. I'm like, just put your name in this and put it on. like it's that easy. 
Uh, well, and you know, and that's, that's the interesting thing is that, you know, technology has come so far. I mean, I worked in technology back in the eighties when there weren't very many women in technology. Okay. So it's, it's one of those things where I've seen technology and I've been a techie geek for all of these years. I love technology, but I also keep it in perspective. But one of the keynote speakers at Ursula last week was a futurist and he was talking about how we have become so attached to our phones and that everything goes through that mm -hmm. phone that it was $1,250 for my iPhone XS this last time. And it's like the owner of the club was like, Sherry, it's a computer you walk around with in yeah. your pocket. <laughs> and so you look at things like that and you think about how much we rely on that. And for me, I think it's technology is a double-edged sword. It's really great to be able to, and I think we're kind of giving, getting away from the, the perfect little picture of the, oh, the perfect yeah. little, it's all curated. And actually, I think the stories on Instagram really help show people in their whole authentic living of life if they're actually doing it, right? So when you think about things like that, it personalizes that whole situation so that a lot of us know that for some people, the hardest thing for them to do is to walk through that door to come in and take a class. They feel insecure about maybe what they look like, about their ability to be able to do the class or understand or whatever it is. And the hardest thing for them to do is walk through that door. So if there's not somebody there friendly at the front door to welcome them in and say, you know, please come in and join us. And the instructor doesn't have the ability to create those connections with those people that come in to keep them coming back and for them to then refer their friends to the class. I mean, those are the biggest, you can use social media to draw them in, but then it's the personal connection oh, that has, has to be there. the hiring, 100%. You here's the thing. I've had instructors come to me with huge followings, and it may yeah. be so because they have found an audience that digs their workout. Maybe it's so right. into needing to be friendly with this person because my interaction right. with them is not telling me that this person is warm, that this person is <laughs> even liking people that much. And I'm sitting there, I'm so curious. I'm like, how did you build this massive following? So all I can say is they're really good at the physical instruction of it, which is what some people only require. Yes. For me, yeah. it was important. It was it was everything that people did not feel. And because of the years of working as a life coach and even before that, working with women directly on their self-worth and sensuality and loving themselves, all this work that I've been doing told me so much information about what was going on in people's heads from the minute they walked in, even even leading up to looking for a space to go. There's so much coming and yes. crying and and doubt and fear and, and having to psych themselves up. And how many times I'd hear people go, I'll come to your pole dance class when I lose weight. And I was like, what? No, you're going to come now. I'll come when I'm more flexible. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're going to come. Now. That's why you That's come. Me. You come to get flexible. That's my favorite. I'll come to yoga when I get more flexible. I'm like, I'm so confused. But I understand it. That's the voices in their head telling them that they're going to go in there and they're right. going to be spoken about and that people are going to side eye. And I, I don't negate that these things have happened to some people and that they have experienced that. The, the problem that I have, though, is that when people take it and then they're going to assume it's going to be this way all the time. And that's when I think we, we talk ourselves yeah. out of really great things like going to a spot that might actually be the spot for you. So it was imperative that we hired people from the beginning. I sit down and I do at least two to three interviews with everybody. One of them is called the deep dive. 
And that's when I get into your head a little bit. And I'm not so interested in, in your following. I want to know who you are as a person. What lights you up? Right. What motivates you? How do you motivate others? Why do you even teach? And if at the end of that, it, are, can you take feedback from me? Are you open to hearing yeah. that I may have another approach to something? If you're able to go through that that conversation with me and, and have me feel as if that you are you know, not perfect, but of a sound mind <laughs> and a pretty good, pretty good outlook on life, then we're we're gonna have something to work with here. But the minute right. I feel at all that there is a hierarchy that you're kind of living on, that uh, you know, I have this or I, I can do or the worst thing you could tell me is I've been doing this for X amount of years, but you're doing it as a defense to say that I don't need to learn anything else. I'm like, well, we, we're not, yeah, yeah, like open yeah. to learning and evolving as a person, as a teacher. And those people that are open to that are the most successful at our studio. And because yeah. we take so much time to do so, I feel like we've had very low turnover on the teacher end because and the yeah. ones that don't work out are very easy to see that this isn't the spot. You know, right. That's my experience as well. And, you know, I, I've been practicing yoga for 26 years and teaching for 17. And my, my practice, my personal practice has changed mm -hmm. and my teaching has mm -hmm. changed. And I always look at myself as the biggest test subject that there is while I'm working on how I'm teaching. Why am I teaching this way? What, you know, what's the benefits? What is it that I'm looking for? Always longevity, right? I want to be able to stay as active and mobile and flexible and engaged as I possibly can for as long as I can. I always joke that I want to be teaching when I'm in my mm -hmm. 90s. So you look at things like that and that puts me in a space where I am forever a student. I always not, I don't want to be bleeding edge. I don't want to know always what the latest and greatest is. But what I want to know is what works functionally for a body? What works functionally for a body as it's aging, mm -hmm. right? How do you need to be able to modify? Where do you need to think about approaching your practice maybe from a different perspective so that then you can stay injury free, that you can feel that you can have longevity in whatever it is that you're doing. So it's just one of those things, like you said, you're looking for someone who no matter how long they've been teaching, they're, they're, they're perpetually a student, a student of life and a student of, of what they're teaching. And I think that those are the teachers that make it long-term. The ones that are just, I just learned this and this is the only thing I want to do. They're, they're going to be, they're, they're going to have a shelf life and then it's going to be something else. But it's so important that that's probably why you successfully have three locations is that you put a lot of time into building that team. Yeah so that you guys can you you make you have room for different personalities to shine through but the overarching sort of umbrella is it of it is here's what the expectations are here's where you have room to move within that space right. and we're here to support you now for anybody who so, might be a studio owner or even uh, owner of any business what you just said here are the expectations so often levels you got a level set. from the beginning so I'd have people come to me, you know, back when I was a Lululemon manager, part of my job was to help people in the community with goal setting. And oftentimes those were people who we interacted with the most, which would either be teachers or studio owners. And there were many times right. where I would sit with them and they were having, let's say, conflict with the teacher. And I'd be like, well, what, what's the issue? Yeah. You know, well, I, I, it's very hard to get them to do this. And I'm like, well, did you discuss it from the beginning? Well, no, we never talked about it. But now I want to go there back you and go. want to regulate. But now this person's been running kind of wild. 
for X amount of time. And it's, you know, just like anything, like why, why now, why is it an issue now? And then you're getting the back and forth as opposed to you as the owner, knowing from the beginning, what the vision of your space is. And I mean, getting as detailed as possible. Uh, we would sit there and I sat there yeah. with my husband, like, what do you want to feel when you walk in? What do you want to see? What do you want to hear? What is the vibe that we're going for? And then the energy of the space. Yeah. Because it's important and that's going to dictate who you hire. And then same thing with the team. I even have the front of house. I go, okay, you're the front of house. Now I've given you my vision. I want you to see, what do you see when you walk in the space? What do you want people to experience when they come to you at the front desk? Them now think, how am I going to show up? Well, because that gets them involved in the process. You're no longer just telling them, here's what our hiring practices are. Here's what the expectations are. Here's what your, your responsibilities are. Now you're telling them, listen, you're walking in this space. What do you see when you walk in? And if it was you walking through that door and not working here, who or yeah. what would you want to see when you come through the door? That gets them. Then now they they have a stake in what's going on. Instead of just having a job, they actually have a place where they feel that they have some input. Yeah, they're enrolled now. Now they're enrolled. Yeah. And now it's also easier to hold them accountable when, yes. when they go off course. And I'm like, so remember we had that discussion way back when and you were going up this way right now. That's not happening. How do we get you back to right. that? Where did we go off? Now it's an easier conversation. It's not coming out of the blue. They don't feel excited right. by a rule that they never knew about. Yeah. Six months later, you can't go, you know, you aren't doing this and this and this. And they're looking at you going, I have no idea what you're talking about. And it's unfair to them. I feel when you, when you you blindside people with that, with rules or or an expectation that you never set, it makes more stress for you as the owner as well. And it makes you feel like you, the inmates are running the asylum. Oh, you know what I mean? That, that, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) That, that idea that it's wild and I have no control over my business, but, but it's your business. Of course you have control. So I feel like you do. that's important. The level setting, also having clear values, at least five yes. of them. Again, enrolling the team. I don't expect them to remember them all, but I do expect them to know them. We go through a whole uh, company culture meeting and we will sit down for about an hour and a half and I have a whole written document out that just breaks down everything from feedback. How do we give it? How do we receive it? The expectation around it, I expect you to give it to me. I don't care if I'm the owner. If I'm doing something that is not meeting expectations of the studio, if I'm in your way at the desk and micromanaging, I am giving you the authority to say, hey, lady, you hired me. Get out of my way. Let me do my thing. You're actually creating a clusterfuck right now. You know? One of those things where people just need to hear they have the permission because I know that that is not commonplace in most spaces, especially giving your boss feedback. It doesn't happen normally. Well, and giving them the, the authority to be able to act from a place of confidence, right? So, you know, everybody, there are people say, oh, you shouldn't have expectations. Well, the reality is that as human beings, we have expectations. So those level sets, that's what I say to people if I'm interviewing them, like I was just looking at some new software for running the club. And my thing is, is I need you to level set what my expectation is right now. So I know whether we need to continue this conversation Mm -hmm. or whether I need to go Mm -hmm. somewhere else because I'm okay with Mm -hmm. that. If you can't meet those expectations, don't meet where I need to be, then we don't, we shouldn't work together. And so then when you, when you do that and give them authority to be able to move with confidence in their job, as long as they're sticking within the framework and you're, you give them the capacity to be able to move around in that, however suits their personality, that's where you get the people that 
make your business a win. I mean, you're the owner, right? You set the tone, but it takes all of those. You can't be everywhere doing everything, no. which is. Yeah. And yeah. from the beginning, I remember the first year we were in business, someone was like, it's going to be a long time before you get a vacation in there, girl. And I'm like, you don't know how to train people. <laughs> like, <laughs> I had a conversation about that because I'm going on vacation in about six months. So these kids got to have it together by then. And from from the beginning saying, I'm going to have you ask for forgiveness and not permission. I want you to know that short of burning the studio down, there really isn't a whole lot you can do that we can't reverse, fix, address, you know, and even I tell them, if you make a call that was different than what I would have made, then all all it's going to be is you're never going to get yelled at. What you are going to hear from me is, tell me about that. What brought you to do that? Why did you make that choice? Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I could see where you thought that this next time try this and this way we'll avoid this and then you'll feel that and they go oh okay thank you noted no scary pink slips you're in the office you're in trouble why did you make that call why did you think right it's just, i'm going to support you especially in front of the guests i'm never going to undermine them in front of a guest like i'm always even if i'm standing there i kind of walk away a lot <laughs> so i'm like what the yeah you know yeah. and then I'll come back i've and- had I've had to learn that too. It's hard. Unless you see something really grossly going awry, in which case I'll just kind of gently step in and be like, hey, why don't we try this? As opposed to going shutting that person down and interfering like right. and taking away their power. You know, they won't right. need to call after right. that. They won't feel that I trust them. And I'm, you know, again, I'm moving on vacation yeah. in about two weeks. I have a new team at Van Aken and they're still they're still needing some support. They're on their way. But I had, uh, you know, a level set email go out. Tell me where you're feeling not supported. Tell me where you feel like we need to work a little bit more. I am leaving in two weeks and we have time to get this on board. And at the end of the day, if I leave and you don't know how to do something, you know, you are empowered to ask as many questions of other team members or to simply make the best call in that moment. And we'll talk about it later. Right. It's going to be okay. Like, yeah. honestly, it's going to be okay. I feel like when you cause this much tension, though, your team is not going to feel that way. And they will feel they're going to. And then that's also, again, as an owner, how many owners I saw that were so beleaguered, like tired because they're still they're still doing they're it still all. doing it all. And I or trying right, to. And I'm at the point where I want to give it away. So we're actually pitching for more money so I can hire more bandwidth so that I don't. <laughs> I'm the manager who's always been like, you good at this? Here, take it, run. I'm like, yeah, you're good. <laughs> But see, you're, you're in a space in your life where you realize that you can't do it all. And you realize that the team has, in order for your business to be successful, your team has to be successful. So, and you just, you can't always, so you've had to learn to level set for yourself, what your expectations are in terms of your own capacity and where you are, where your, your energy best needs to go and where it doesn't need to go. Not everybody has that. I mean, that's pretty incredible that you have been able to come to that place because that's your livelihood that you're working with, right? So, and instead of coming from a place of fear, instead of coming from a place of worry, you're coming from a place of trust. I'm going to train you. I'm going to give you the tools that you need. I'm also going to give you the capacity to be able to make decisions. And instead of me coming to you and saying, that was a bad decision. I don't want you to ever make it again. You come and say, what led you to make that decision? So that also helps you think, okay, what do I need to do in terms of maybe tweaking my training or the information that I'm providing to these people? And I didn't think about that because, you know, everybody's different. Everybody has a different frame of reference. So instead of you coming from a place of, 
I'm powerful and I'm in charge and you have to do what I say, you're making it all about, again, how do we learn from each other? How do we make this the most successful space we can be? And that empowers, like you said, that empowers people. And, and that's incredible because the businesses that succeed, those is because of the, that, that chemistry or that formula that you've put together. I like, I like to believe so. that, that it's going to keep helping us. <laughs> you know, you said something about uh, the level setting for myself and, and that I, I do want to address because it's been something where every coach needs a coach. That's just what it comes down to. And, you know, I, I've heard that psychiatrists have psychiatrists of their own. <laughs> counselors have their own counselors. And I feel that from time to time, there's definitely a need that I have to have a coach to help me see outside of myself. Because even standing in the middle of it, there are times when I cannot coach myself out of a paper bag. And it's just because it's so close to me. And I have my tools yep. and I have all the things that I've learned. And because I'm standing in the middle of it, it just makes it that much harder, though, for me to really, really be to step outside and go, this is what you really need. And well, you know, emotions get involved in that and you can't always separate your emotions yeah. from things like that unless you have someone else who's not emotionally involved in that situation say, have you thought about yeah. this? And then you go, oh yeah, that makes so yeah. much sense. And I love those moments. I love it. I'm so grateful to have people that I can go to myself and say, hey, <laughs> holy shit. I need some I'm help. Stuck. I'm in like the dark place. I joke. I'm like, I'm in the sunken place. <laughs> I need you right now. <laughs> I can't see my way out. I do. I'm like, I'm in the sunken place. And, you know, it, and I'm not, I've learned not to have shame around that in the beginning. Of life, That's important. A little yeah. bit of shame because I know that there was a high expectation from a lot of the people who were following me or coming to events or taking my classes. Uh, you know, people's perception can be really, um, yeah. gosh, like an iron fist around you, so to speak, or I, I don't know, a grip, a grip. People's perceptions, yeah. the pedestals they put you on, yeah. it doesn't give you room to fall or fail. And I remember going to something where I, I was looking at this coach as, oh, you know, and they're like, what's going on? I'm like, I just feel so wow, and awe, and, and you, and this, and she looked at me, and she's like, I really need you to not do that right now, and I said, what? She said, I'm yeah. coming in on the fly to help cover for somebody right now, so I'm actually in my head feeling quite unprepared, and you throwing yeah. that at me is making me even more nervous, actually, <laughs> and I need you to let me know I'm a human being who's coming in, and as great as you think I am, I'm still a human being coming in, stepping in for somebody else last minute, so we're going to see how this goes. There you, yeah. See, you know, that's so interesting that you mentioned that because when I went through, so I did a, a really quick yoga fit teacher training in my beginning of my yoga career, because I had somebody, a club that wanted me to hire, that wanted to hire me to teach. And so I went through this weekend thing. I came out of it going, I need more. Mm -hmm. So I started a, a full teacher training with a local studio here on Bainbridge. And I clicked really well with the instructor. She's been my mentor for all of these years. And there were times that she would have me sub her classes. And I mean, I was, I was a newbie instructor subbing for this. She, you know, she's a master yoga mm -hmm. teacher. And no matter how well prepared you are, no matter how long you've been teaching, whether you've hardly been teaching at all, or you've been teaching a long time, when you step in to sub for somebody else, you have, there's expectations in the room about what they're used to. There's expectations about when you walk in and they see you for the first time and they're looking you over going, hmm. And then 
you, I still, even after all of these years, and I mean, I have over probably close to 15,000 hours of practical teaching behind me. Right. And still when I sub for somebody else, there are times when I walk in the room and go, okay, you know, I I can be here. I can do this. It's going to be all right. I think if you lose that capacity that then you, then you maybe need to be thinking about what you're still doing with your teaching. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just my perspective. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there used to be times in the beginning when I would go to sub and it would be almost like I would be like my body sort of removed oh, itself yeah. a little bit and it would hit, and I'd have to really go, okay, you need to breathe a little bit. We're, we don't need to have a panic attack. So her, that instructor telling you that, I mean, that was her being really honest with you. And that is so incredible because a lot of people wouldn't do that. They wouldn't want you to see the vulnerability of that, right? Because that that might make you think that they're not a very good instructor when in fact that makes them the better instructor because they have the capacity to be vulnerable. That means that they can then understand vulnerability of a student walking through 100%. the door. 100%. And that, that came to me even more so as a coach, just when I would hear people's perceptions of what they're seeing online from my post. And it was so weird because right. I'm not in any way purposely trying to put something out there, a perception that I have it all together, whatever. So I, but it, because I wasn't consciously thinking of it until someone said, you know, you just make it look so easy. And I cringed and I was like, girl, I was crying in the bathroom floor last night. What are you talking about? And then I was like, well, I'm going to start posting more of that because I want people to know and not be fearful and not be fearful that if they find out that she cries on the bathroom floor sometimes that I'm somehow a less effective coach. Cause that's really what it was. There was a point and I, you're human. You're, human. you're a human being. And it doesn't mean, and I, you know, I tell some of my other coaching friends who are, you know, maybe just starting out. Well, I feel like I don't have the right to say something to somebody else. If I don't have this hundred percent together. And I'm like, Whoa, no, not at all. You're in the process of learning something. Your perspective matters. What worked for you matters. And all I'm ever telling people is like, this is what's worked for me. And that's it. I need you to find what works for you. And when people will say, well, that whole coaching thing is nonsense. I'm like, you just haven't found the voice to speak to you. And also not getting in your head, right? So it's like, you're a human being. You're allowed to make mistakes. You're allowed to have a wrong answer. You're allowed to not have an answer. Right. You're allowed to go, you know what? I don't even know what to do with that information. That you I'm going to be real with you. I, Honestly, I have no idea. I'll have to go find out. And get I, back I'm going to call my coach and see what they say. <laughs> you know, I'm going to call my lifeline. <laughs> you know, and, and I think it's okay because it, it really, it does. It makes you more human. It makes you accessible. It makes people see, first of all, oh, I can get to that point because she still got, got it together and she seems overall content and happy. So I know that I don't need to show up any kind of perfect way in order just to get to the thing that they think that they're seeing that they want. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting because I've interviewed Catherine Budig, who's uh, she's big in the yoga mm-hmm. world, right? And um, my friend Sadie Nardini, who's been a rock star in the yeah. yoga world for yeah. years. Yeah. And, and so when I met Sadie, so I met Sadie 11 years ago. And she was, you know, hustling and making her own DVDs and sending them out and, you know, trying to put it all together. And then I watched her segue from that into traveling all over the world, all the time, teaching yoga, running trainings, doing all of that. And it was so interesting. I went up to Vancouver to take one of her workshops and a woman that had followed her on social media was in the class and we got to get somehow 
I was taking Sadie with me to the hotel and this woman ended up riding in the car and she started to kind of freak out a little bit because, you know, like Sadie, oh, she's, you know, this celebrity, blah, blah, blah. And Sadie looked in the rearview mirror and she said, don't do that. I'm just a person just like you. Don't do that. Don't. And that's one of the reasons our friendship has worked so well for so long is I don't see her as the celebrity yoga teacher. She's just my friend, Sadie. Catherine Budig said, she said, you know, Sherry, this is the thing about social media is people see you there and then they come to take your class and they think they know you and they know you from what they see. And it you have to be able to kind of ride that space of being open and friendly, but kind of hold on to the fact that they really don't know you that well. And she said, people will make these comments about, oh, you know, this, that, or you look great or blah, blah, blah. And she's, and she's like, yeah. And two hours ago, I was bawling my eyes out. Right. So I look at things like that and how social media can be that space of getting your word out, getting your, your ideas out for people to see, but it can also create this unrealistic set of expectations for people seeing you of she's got her shit together. She knows how to do it all, all of these things. And in a part of what's come out of all of these interviews I've done with all of these women is that we are all so complex. We're all filled with emotion and heart and soul and all of that. And that, nobody's perfect. Nobody's life is perfect. And I look at it as, and it's the fluidity of life, right? right? It, it comes and goes. You got to ride those waves. It's, it's when you go to do a balance, a, a standing balance pose on one leg, think about how much work your foot and ankle and your leg has to do to hold your entire body up. It's always moving, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And so I've kind of gone to the point where I've stopped asking people what does balance look like in your life? I'm curious about that answer. But through all of this, I've learned that for one thing, you don't arrive at balance. You don't go, I'm balanced. And it's always that. It's a continue. It's like standing on one foot. It's a continual movement to try and find that space. And, and there may be some hours in your day where you are balanced and everything feels great. And then the shit falls yeah. apart and you got to clean up. The when you fall in that pose, just get back up. <laughs> it's like, just get up. Don't think about it too hard. Don't start looking around to see who saw. It doesn't matter. Just get back up yeah. and stick it again. And my thing is, is that I tell stories when I teach about falling over in my bedroom, trying to learn how to do a pose. And I, luckily I fell on my bed and I tell people, we all had to start at the beginning. Our bodies change. Every time we step on our mat, our practice is different. And so I, I laugh at myself. And when I ask them to step outside of their normal patterns of motion and their habitual movement spaces that, you know, bring your sense of humor. Cause you're going to laugh at yourself. Cause you're going to look funny. You're going to fall over and you know what? Have fun Absolutely. with it. Absolutely. And so I just think that that humanizes that whole space and it goes back to the reality of how hard it is to walk just to, for some people to walk through the door mm-hmm. because they're worried about what they look, you know, we get a lot of that in the club of we have all body mm-hmm. types, all ages, nobody looks the same. 
nobody moves the same. And so we try and keep it as open to everybody being there and you move within whatever space you have available in that moment. And so it, it's so interesting that, you know, I don't have the right clothes or I don't, I'm afraid of what I'm going to look like, or I don't have a yoga mat, or, you know, I don't know what this is. And I don't, you know, and so it's just, it's so... You just have to come from that place. If I ever get so jaded where I look at someone and go, you should know how to do that, then it's time for me to walk off of that floor and, and not come back. back. It's so interesting. All of these things that you're saying are that you're, you're talking about those compilations of things that I've heard in different ways from different women as we've done these interviews. And it, it's sort of that key theme that's coming through is that not any one of us has the, the right answer. We have the answer that works in the moment in time that we're, that we're, whatever the situation yeah. is. And, and it may not apply to the next situation. And we'll just apply the answer right. to that one as well, right? <laughs> um, you know, the balancing <laughs> is funny because I also, as a coach, approach it very differently than I did back in the days. And when I first learned about balance, it was, there's three categories and it's your life and your career and your personal and da 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 da, da And you're going to balance them out. And the stress. <laughs> I was like, this is good. This is a shit show. That's getting there. And then it was like, okay, this got great. Oh no, that got shitty. And I'm like, I'm doing it wrong. I'm doing it wrong every day. You know, and as a mom, oh, like yes. havoc on me. A mom who had a career and a job and just trying to do it right and be as great as that mom and I thought was doing it better. You know? Yeah. And then really just having this this moment of of and I'm going to admit it, it took me having to hear a little bit about some of those perfect moms to hear that, you know, well, she's hitting that Chardonnay in the bottle in the afternoon because she's actually not quite got it together. We have to try to get out to ride a bike. And I was like, oh, good to know. Not, you know, in the sense that I'm like, it just put things into perspective, just like you said, like Sadie told that woman, like Catherine Budig has told, we're just people, you know, and there's days where I'm literally like, Five o'clock somewhere in the world, we're gonna break that bottle of wine open the world about now and make it happen. And balance to me, what I have arrived to is that it is not at all a scale. I think the perception no. of the scale is a horrendous thing for people's minds. Uh, yeah. It yes. is to me more like I always think of those these cool little things that you'd have in the office, like people would on their desks, and it was either the balls were knocking each other. You know, yes, like yes, that. yes, yeah, yeah. And it was the idea yeah. of how do I get them all to swing, or you'd get like you know, some other contraption that was all about putting a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there. And then like the seesaw, right? right? How do you balance that seesaw exactly. in the center? Yeah. So, but the idea though, yeah. to me, that helped me is to understand that on some days, certain aspects of my life are going to need more attention than others. And as long as the people involved are enrolled in that, my children understand that mommy works at this time. And I cannot do that right now for you. But when I am with you, I will do everything in my power to be 100% present. And then my job knows if I don't answer, you need to figure it out because I'm doing this right yeah. now. And right. then just in, you know, that, that goes for everything. It's, it's in personal relationships. It's with my husband. It's saying, hey, we've been working like mad. We need to go on a date tonight. And yeah. it may require yeah. that I get my shift covered or my class covered. And I don't like to do it. But you know what? I got to do it tonight. And if my students don't understand, it's okay. The replacement will be great. The sub will be awesome for them. And they'll learn from a different person right. and not get so caught up into a, trying to make everyone happy. Impossible. Yes. Cause even with that little speech, the kids are still salty about it sometimes, you know, 
on, and, and I'm like, I hear you, and you're going to be okay. And maybe you'll meet a coach one day yeah. and end up on someone else's couch. Hopefully not, but you know, I, I, I get it. it. It could happen. And I feel like that to me is what balance has come down to is that it's a day-to-day thing. It, it's a little give and take. It's assessing what needs to go where. And it, it's a moment to moment thing. And there are going to be days when, holy shit, yeah. girl, we're sailing. Well, like you said, it's a shit storm, yeah. right? You know, and then you got to clean up the shit because right. it's stinky and makes a mess. Yeah. And so you can move on. And, you know, it's just, it's, everybody has those days, but I think as women, we internalize and stuff down the guilt, the shame, yeah. the mean girl conversations we have with ourselves, whether it came from how we were parented, whether it came from generational stories passed down from our family, whatever those inner conversations are that happen. And I've spent a lot of time in the last year learning more about generational stories and how stories pass from one generation to the next. And you can say, I don't have to own that story. I don't have to live that. That doesn't have to be my truth or my reality, but it takes awareness of the fact that that's what's going on, that you can step outside and still have love for those people that maybe pass those stories on to you and understand that, you know, they were trying to do their best too. And they've had, you know, everybody has trauma of one form or another. You only know what you know. Right? You only know what you know. Your parents, I forgot what child writer, therapist, whatever was on a show. This was so dope when she said this. She's like, you know, well, we only know what we know. So technically we're all kind of raising right. other kids. You know? <laughs> because your parents only developed to a certain point based on what their parents knew, based on Correct. what their knew. Correct. So we're all out there going, what the fuck? You know, we don't really know. The piece though about judging it a little bit generation to generation. And this is, I mean, gosh, we could be here for years. I could talk about this. When it comes to religion, when it comes to exercise, oh, yeah. because things were created at a certain time to serve the people of that time and they were needed and it was necessary and it made sense. Yes. But as and now we're in a very different yes. space and time. And so we need to adjust. And those people, so I see that like in the whole, it's playing out in the political mm-hmm. arena, right? So I have a degree in political science. So I've done a lot of reading about my history fanatic. So reading about history and reading about politics and the cyclical things that happen. And I'm seeing right now this whole space of people wanting to move backwards, mm-hmm. of wanting to move back into a time and space of the fifties or mm-hmm. the sixties or where, you know, women didn't have choice and they weren't pushing for choice. They weren't necessarily out in the workforce as much as they are now. There was a lot of different things. And it's like, you you know, once that lion is out of the cage, you can't stuff it back in. And this whole process has brought women to the forefront and women saying, we're not going to live like this anymore. We're not going to let you tell us what we can and can't do anymore. That's not who we are. And so you're going to have to deal with the situation. And then we've got what I call the white male sure. syndrome of fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're holding on by their fingernails to that power because they've had it for so long. And they know if they give one little inch that they're going to lose it. Instead of going, if we embrace this, if we become inclusive, if we work together as a team, 
we all rise, right? Instead of we want the rich to be richer and everybody else can fuck off. Well, you know, that doesn't really it's work. It's not very been well. working for a long effing time. <laughs> that's, and that's what that's correct. So the whole thing, like the future is female. <laughs> what I took that to being is that, yes, there's male feminine energy in all of us. In all, all of us, us but yes. But there is a perception in a way that as women, we deal with problems, issues, thinking, how to run things that has been overlooked or poo-pooed, so to speak, you know, not thought of much of. And now we're saying, no, the high emotional intelligence that we have, the ability to communicate, the fact that you labeled us as chatty, right? Women talk too much. I tell women this all the time. Like, mm -hmm. They say that because you're great communicators. Not. Yeah, because it forces them oh, to have to move into that arena and they don't want to naturally not communicators. Naturally, yeah. the center of the brain that's working more so for the male is aggression it's a different and yep. there's necessary it's necessary for that as well we need it but the thing is that it's we've been leading from that place for too long and it's not working. well that's the caveman brain you know that's the caveman brain right there, longer. Right? So now we gotta bring in we gotta bring in the <laughs> other half of us really to balance it out because well and that's that's that there it is right there that word balance it out right so if you think of it as a pendulum we've got masculine on one end and feminine on the other we all have both of those qualities, that that's who we are. But when the pendulum swings too far, which is where it's been in that masculine, that mm -hmm. aggressive, that power seeking, that, you know, I am going to take over the world kind of energy, the pendulum is slowly starting to swing back, but you're going to get those people that are going to, the white man syndrome coming in of, I'm not giving up my power and I'm not going to, you know, this, and this isn't going to happen. And you look at these old white men who have money, who then have the power and they don't, they don't want to admit anywhere that they, they're wrong right? They will burn down the earth to prove that they are right. right. And they don't want to admit that there's a better way to mm -hmm. do it. They don't give a shit about anybody but themselves mm -hmm. or their own little corner of whatever it is that they're trying to hold mm -hmm. on to. And they're fearful of the fact that they realize, and maybe some of them don't, maybe it's in their reptilian brain, but they realize that when women come together, we have incredible power and that scares the shit out of them because they can't control it. And that's why all of these centuries, they have tried to hold women down. They have tried to deny them rights, not rights to, to dictate what goes on with their own body, to shame women, to do all of these things because they're afraid of the power that it is. And instead of realizing that if we all work together and we all come together, that we then become more powerful and unstoppable than anything else that's out there. Right. So it's ironic to me, but I've done enough reading of history and looking at politics and doing all of that, that, you know, you look at things like the European countries where they had queens and, you know, they still kind of tried to tell the queens, well, you need to marry this guy over here because that gives us our power base better and we can wage war and do whatever. But they're used to having women in power, whereas in the United States, that has never been the yeah. case. Mm -hmm. So we are still living in the fucking dark ages when it comes to that shit. And there are days I wake up and go, oh my God, are we ever going to get over this hump? Are we ever going to get yeah. beyond this space? Yeah. yeah. 
but I, I feel like we're, we're moving better in that direction, but that's a part of the reason why these conversations I feel are so important is that women need to have a platform to talk about themselves without apology, yeah. without justification, without feeling like their ego is gotten too big or any of that. I mean, this is, this is the space to let it all hang out. And I hope that there are just more and more and more of these. And as women, we just keep uplifting each other, right? As long as we're all working together and and uplifting each other and applauding each other and supporting each other, even if it's maybe something that you don't necessarily agree with, as long as it's not something that's harming somebody else, the more we can do that, the more we can come together. And 100%. I fully support the woman who wants to live a more quote unquote traditional what it was. Lifestyle. Yes. Just let me do my thing. Like I get that. And that's right. the piece. Like we're not trying to eradicate anything. We're just simply saying, just let me choose different. That's it. I just, there you go. That's it. Just give me the space yeah. to choose differently what works for me. And then I'm not going to ever shame that woman who decides that what works for me is to live in this more traditional old school role. That's totally fine. I think it's a beautiful thing if that's what fulfills her. You know, I have an aunt who's 92 and has pretty much served her children her entire life. That has been her life. Yeah. And I often wonder, right. I think I asked her once when she was more lucid, younger, did you ever want to do anything else? And she was like, not really. Like, this is what I, this makes me happy. And I just, I remember at a younger age feeling like, that's not enough. Did you want to be a singer? Did you want to be a writer? And, author? and then going, wait a second, but that wasn't enough for her. It fulfilled her. At least this is what she's telling me. And I'm going to her family was her passion. Her family was her passion. Seeing her children happy, raised healthily, have their own families. Now she feels she succeeded. It rocks. Great. Awesome. Do your thing. Then at the same time, I look at people like my mother, who I felt had more that she wanted to do, but was raised to believe she wasn't capable. She wasn't smart enough. Uh, she didn't have enough hmm. know-how. You know, it's not a, you know, a role for you. So even though she worked the nine to five, you know, she tried to go to fashion school for a little while. It, for some reason, it didn't work out. And I've always wanted, you know, she's passed now, but I always wanted to know what was the thing that made you feel like you couldn't keep going? There were times when we yeah. walked down the street and there was like a children's store that she loved. And she says, you know, they're going out of business or they're looking to sell it. I contemplated buying it. I'm like, why don't you? I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. Yeah. And it's crazy because I'd say like, well, just learn. You can learn it. You can learn it. I'll help you. And it's just this idea that you know that there's somewhere it was planted in her head. And it was from a different era. And I get it. I had a grandfather that was old school as a comp. Uh, see, that's that generational story, that's man. It. Comes Pass down. It on. Thankfully, yeah. Yeah. I was this kid who she didn't necessarily ex put any of those expectations on me, but and I railed against it anyway. And you could ask my husband in the beginning of our marriage. <laughs> I was like, listen, y'all need to know how to cook because I'm not the only one cooking up in this bitch. Because you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was like because he was coming from the traditional. His mom was home. You know, dad worked. Yeah. They had a nanny, like different perception. And he understood it. This is a funny thing. When people understand it, but they don't really discover it. Two different things. There so he go. knew it. I support you. I want you to have rights. But really discovering it was when he's like, oh, I recognize now. I actually still kind of want you to do what I know. And the reality of the situation, even though I understand it, the reality of the situation is, is I got to step back and take a look at all of that shit that I brought with oh, me from my childhood. Okay. You know, it's, it's interesting when you look at stuff like that, because my father was raised 
So my dad's dad was German mm-hmm. and I mean, iron fisted mm-hmm. German. When my grandfather died, I was a year old. My grandmother did not know how to drive a car. Mm-hmm. She didn't know how to balance a checkbook mm-hmm. or pay the bills. She hadn't really had a job. And so my dad had to help her learn how to do all of that. Now, my dad, when we were kids, and, and I was the oldest and the only girl. So the thing was, is you're a girl, you're going to look like a girl. So I had to wear dresses all the time until I hit high school and said, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> Nobody else is wearing dresses like this. But it was, here. here's a classic example. My mom and I are doing dishes in the kitchen. My brothers are in the bathtub taking a bath. My dad's sitting in the living room reading a newspaper and the boys start yelling and screaming. And my dad puts down the newspaper and says, Bev, the kids are calling for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, and then this is the man who retired at 55 after working 30 years for the phone company. My two younger brothers had daughters within about three months of each Mm -hmm. other. And when the moms were getting ready to go back to work, my dad could not stand the fact that those kids were going to go to daycare. And he took care of those two little girls until they were five years old. Really? Wow. This this is the man. So, you know, when I moved, I moved home when I was six months pregnant because my ex decided he didn't want to be married and be a father. So my dad was my daughter's father, basically. I mean, Papa, Papa did it all. And she was 12 years old before any of the rest of the kids came. So my dad was a totally different parent to my daughter than he ever was to me. And so she has a very different understanding of that relationship mm-hmm. than the relationship that I have with my yeah. father. And so it, it's interesting that, you know, we get to see this because we live close and I yeah. see these things happen generationally, but it's, this is a man who didn't do dishes, didn't cook, didn't do anything. And my, my mom was still working. My mom didn't retire till she was 73, mm-hmm. I think. So my dad was, you know, home cooking and, and doing laundry and, you know, doing all of that kind of stuff. And that would kind of made my mother bristle because that was always her. Right, <laughs> right. And then there's that piece where you're kind of like, as a woman, like, well, I mean, what is it trying to say that I don't do? Where's my space? Right, right, right. right. Yeah, I totally get that. I, you know, I'm so grateful. My mother, I, I remember numerous arguments with my grandfather, my mother and my grandfather about how she was raising me or choosing to raise me because he lived with us mm. and he disapproved yeah. of so much. He disapproved of boys coming over. He disapproved of how I dress. He disapproved that I got a tattoo yeah. called Spawn of the Devil. He, you know, I mean, it was like crazy stuff that he did. He loved me dearly and he was from another time. And and he had very serious expectations about what life should look like. Very serious. And for a young woman in particular. And you know, my, yeah. my dad was this different person. He was raised to be incredibly independent. He knew how to cook. He knew how to clean. He folded his socks like he was. His house was spotless, sometimes cleaner than my mom's. You know what I mean? It was like he was a different kind of guy. So I came into this relationship right. with this is what my father was like. So where is your cleaning skills, homie? There and you me, go. And my mom, you know, I saw her slaving over kitchen stoves and three inch heels coming out of a nine to five job and having to come oh, home no. to cook for my grandfather yeah. and her boyfriend because the expectation was the food would be ready by 7 p.m. And I fully was like, I'm not doing that shit. So that what I brought into the relationship was so much defensiveness that when he even called and said, babe, we need milk. I was like, fuck that. You go get the milk. Who do you think I am? I'm not just slave. He's like, I was letting you know that we need milk. Sorry. Well that, but see, but so that triggered that whole 
sort of emotionality in you of what you saw growing yeah. up. And the reality though, is that you must've at some point in time between the two of you, your husband and yourself, you came to a realization of bringing some awareness around that and going, Ooh, that just triggered something that I really didn't oh, know yeah. was a trigger. And I'm going to have to unpack that a yep. little bit. Yep. I went to a, I went to Landmark and Landmark actually helped me unpack that. I mean, it was one of the greatest moments that whole weekend for me when the forum leader looked at me and he's like, let me get this straight. He called and said, we need milk. You lost your shit. I said, yeah. <laughs> what do you think he was saying in that? I said, this, 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 and this. And I said, but what was, but he was like, well, what was factually actually happening? I was like, he was just letting me know we needed milk. He's like, but you brought your whole childhood. You brought your mother, Forward. your grandfather's expectation, everything into the fact that this man just asked you or told you we needed milk. Told you that you something, Right? <laughs> but you made it mean that he expected you to fully get it. And he's like, what do you think you could do next time? He calls and says, you need milk, but you really don't have the time to get it. I could ask him to go get it. He's like, I don't know. Try it. <laughs> you know? There you go. <laughs> oh, gee, that was so Oh, it was crazy. And I remember bringing this back to him. Now, my husband, years and years later, he ended up going as well to Landmark. And he unpacked a whole lot of stuff around his childhood, upbringing, expectations. And, you know, we have finally got to the place where there is an understanding that, you know, you taking care of the kids wasn't you helping out. <laughs> that shit drives me crazy. Yeah. yeah. Or babies, oh, babies your children. Yeah. Babies your like, own children. No, those are your kids. kids. You're crazy. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> you know, and he and he was great always from the beginning because I don't want to make it seem like he wasn't. I remember when I left my first son with him when he was a baby, 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 an infant. And I went to New York to go visit family for an event. And they were like, where's the baby? I said, with his dad. What? By himself? I was like, what is wrong with you women? I was like, he knows how to change a diaper. He's going to be okay. He can feed the baby we're like, wow. I mean, and of course, they're coming from another generation of women. Their correct, husbands were correct. not involved at all. So the fact that I left my newborn and I'm 3,000 miles away because I was in LA at the time and I'm going to New York with a dad who's never done it before, they were like freaking out. It's yeah, crazy. but you had never done it before. Exactly. Either. My instincts aren't any better. Sometimes his were better, actually. In the beginning, he was much better at soothing the baby than I was, which of course pissed me off. But still, that's another story. <laughs> Now you guys have been married a long time. Oh my gosh, we have been married for 18 years in April. It'll be 18 years. You know, it's been a an amazing 18 years of learning. Obviously, a lot. Um, we're both super strong personalities. We're both Scorpios. Um, if you're into that kind of thing, you know, we both want to run the show. Essentially, you have right. two bosses right. in the house who want to run the show, and uh, you know, we're we're vocal and we're passionate. And we believe what we believe. And it really has taken a lot of work to hear and listen and learn how to listen and not bring our shit into it and not assume things to ask more questions. And just to be able to say, hey, that hurt me. He's been amazing in the work that he's done and recognized that he needed to do for himself. As I was right. learning, you know, and I think a lot of it came because he saw me learning and growing and he was like, okay, I need to, I, there's something going on here. There's something good that she's finding in this. I want to keep up. Well, yeah. And it also came down to like, hey, if we're going to survive this, like we have to do this. Not even survive. If we're right. going to thrive in this relationship, I don't want to say survive. It's, you know, but if we're going to thrive in this relationship, we we need to do this work together. 